The sound of the pomp and ceremony of Tinwell Day, the annual celebration on the 5th of July. The state trumpeters announce the arrival of His Excellency the Lieutenant Governor in Man One, the official car, accompanied by police outriders. He's met at the Tinwell Field in St John's by two captains of the parishes. He inspects the Guard of Honour and the military band. He lays a wreath at the National War Memorial. He attends a service in St John's Church and then walks along the ceremonial walkway, preceded by the Manx Sword of State, to take his place on Tinwald Hill to preside over the ceremony. Bernard Deemsters, I exhort you to proclaim to the people in ancient form... And then, such laws well, many of us will hardly see him again until next year. What does he do? Why is he here? He doesn't preside over the sittings of Tinwald in Douglas. As governor, he doesn't actually govern. And yet, for every five years that a governor is here, the Manx taxpayer shells out something in the region of £2.5 million to support his tax-free salary and the expense of running Government House. There's no doubt that if you're coming to the end of your career as a diplomat or someone in the military service, five years at £108,000 means a comfortable tax-free half a million pounds in the bank as you retire. Next week, a new Lieutenant Governor will be sworn in in Castle Russian to begin his five-year term. And I thought it would be an appropriate moment to ask that question. Why do we need a Governor? So, to begin with, a little history. Only a little, nothing to worry about, but just a few words to put the whole issue into context. We've had governors on the island for hundreds of years, and for most of that time they did actually govern. But in 1765 things changed forever, as historian Derek Winterbottom, who's written the definitive book on governors of the Isle of Man, explains. Well, the fact is that in 1765 the British government got completely fed up at last with the fact that the huge smuggling operation that was going on in the Isle of Man was defrauding the British uh, Treasury of what today would certainly be billions and billions of pounds. And so they took advantage of the fact that the new Lord of Man was a very young Duke of Athol. They said to him, we will support you if you will sell us your royal rights to the Isle of Man or your sovereign rights. And they offered him £70,000, which doesn't sound much, um, but anyway, they took it. In 1765, uh, King George III resumed the sovereign rights of the island and also the right to run the customs, which is really the important thing. So the title Lord of Man ceased to exist, and the British government installed their own governor on the island, having bought out the rights of the Duke of Athol. The governor, in these early days representing the crown on the island, was extremely powerful. Perhaps the most famous governor is um, Henry Law. And during his period of office, the island became a very busy place, lots and lots of tourists and so on and so forth. And this increased enormously the role and power and position of the governor, so that um, Locke's successor, whose name was Walpole, wrote a book in which he said that the powers of the governor of the Isle of Man were actually almost autocratic. 
And this auto autocratic uh, view of the job was continued by his famous successor, Lord Raglan, who was very autocratic. Now, he was so autocratic that after his death, the British government realised that it had to find somebody much more easygoing and prepared to introduce reforms. So from the 1920s onwards, reforms were gradually introduced and the governor's power gradually declined. As the power of the governor declined to what it is today, the question surely arises, why do we need a governor? Well, we need a governor because the Queen is the sovereign of this island as long as the island remains not an independent republic. And as long as the Queen is the sovereign, she needs a representative. She needs to be represented here as the head of state. As long as we're not a republic. Do we want to be a republic? Do we actually want total independence from the United Kingdom? One person to ask is someone who once had the opportunity to say, yes, we do. And that's Tony Brown, former MHK, former Speaker of the House of Keys and former Chief Minister. Someone who's taken a deep interest in the constitutional development of the Isle of Man over many years. Were we actually offered independence? Well, I think first and foremost it was an inquiry by government at the time in discussions on many issues to do with the Isle of Man and uh, there was sort of... Um, moods in the community about you know independence needing to have greater control over our own affairs and the question was asked and the UK government said well you know if the Isle of Man and that means the people vote that they want independence then they wouldn't stand in our way and I think that's still the policy. So why wouldn't we want to be independent? Well I think you need to be clear why you do want it. Um, the Isle of Man is in a quite unique position. We have a, a very good sort of uh, constitutional structure really um, where the Isle of Man as a crown dependency uh, of course controls itself internally um, through its elective representatives and through Tinwald um, and also of course um, if you look at what's happened in the last 30 years massive constitutional changes have happened where we've had the development of uh, chief minister, uh, council ministers, um, transference of all or many of the powers that the lieutenant governor used to have to the chief minister, the council ministers, to ministers or the governor and council. So the actual influence over the direction the Alaman goes has changed substantially that we're not far off being fully independent just means we haven't made that last step. So you'd have to work out what is the benefit of that last step really. Not everyone is as relaxed about the current situation as is Tony Brown. There is a Manx nationalist view that there shouldn't be a governor at all, even if that did mean becoming totally independent. To hear that view, I went to see former MHK and Minister for Education, Mrs Hazel Hannan. Still active in politics, although not an MHK, she's the chair of Peel Commissioners and has strong views on the idea of a governor. I think it's very much out of date. Uh, I don't think we should have a governor, but I have to say the Isle of Man has gone very English in its outlook. I don't know what Tinwald and the government are doing, but a lot of the things which... And they're, they're very subservient to England. They don't seem to be standing up to Westminster. We don't need a governor. You know, we have communications in this day and age 
I can't see why government can't work with government. So you've got the, the, um, the chief minister who can liaise with a government minister, not a government department, liaise with a government minister. And then you need to, you can get rid of um, government house. The money that we'd save, it's, it's not peanuts. What I, what, what I wanted um, was that site to be used um, as the incinerator. It was perfect. It was outside the TT course and it was within two populations, which was absolutely perfect. Well, perhaps a slightly controversial idea, but putting that aside for the moment, without a governor, we'd have to be independent. How would that work? Well, like I've said, I think we've gone very English in our outlook. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why. A lot of the legislation is just... Well, it's passed in, in House of Keys. I don't think it's questioned about why it's it's English-based and not going through it to, to uh, amend it so that it's it's Manx. I think that thing was halfway um, between being uh, being totally independent because you have to work at that, and then it would it would lead on then to being to becoming more uh, sophisticated. The thing is, though, if we were to become independent, wouldn't we have to sacrifice our VAT agreement, introduce border controls and lose the reciprocal health agreement? We don't have a health reciprocal agreement. Um, we have to pay for the health that we receive. Uh, the only thing that you can have is emergency treatment. After that, everything is paid for either by the, the um, taxpayer in the Isle of Man, or by insurance. Um, the VAT agreement, yes, but we do have our customs and excise people here ourselves, and I think they have to do much more than they used to do. With regard to passports, um, passports are now much more um, user-friendly in that um, they're electronic, and so, so that from that point of view, that, that would be a lot easier. However, the issue of independence is not currently at the top of many people's lists. In fact, the status quo concerning the governor seems to be unchallenged at the moment. Though there was an incident some years ago when Tony Brown thought it was time to look at the tradition of calling him a governor, even though he doesn't govern, and maybe call him something else. In 2003, a proposal was put forward to rename him Crown Commissioner. And by all accounts, Her Majesty the Queen indicated that she would have no objection to this if the people of the island agreed. Tinwald approved the motion, and it was all set to go ahead. But, it seemed, the people of the island didn't agree. There was such an outcry from all sectors of the community that Tinwald reversed the decision, and it never happened. What had been Tony Brown's thinking? The change of name was quite straightforward, really. Lieutenant Governor had been there a long time uh, as, a, as a title. Um, we, as a constitutional committee, wondered whether or not it was appropriate to continue with that name because it has an inference of it being, you know, military, Lieutenant Governor. That's why they were originally here. Um, the militia and the governor held the island uh, under control. And we just felt, after doing quite a lot of research, and that research, we went, and looked at what was going on in Canada, what went on in Australia, what went on in New Zealand. And there were some areas where they used the term uh, Crown Commissioner. 
Um, I think in the Isle of Man, there was a misunderstanding of that. They felt they didn't, some didn't want the change, clearly. Um, they were stoked up by some members of Tynwald who had, in fact, had originally voted for it and then said, oh, we shouldn't have this, um, which is Manx politics. Um, and basically, we got to the stage where um, there was a view about the whole thing as to whether or not it was really a big issue for the island. And clearly, on balance, um, the committee felt, well, you know, it it's not going to be the end of the world if we don't go with the change. We certainly were very much of the view it should have gone on. Um, we don't think it would have diminished the role. People got confused here by Crown Commissioner with commissioners, and there's no, no nothing at all that links to that. And he still would have, or she, would have had the status of being the Crown's representative. It was a title, um, and we certainly felt there was a need to move away from the term Lieutenant Governor because it gives the inference of a military person, not a civilian person, basically. And it was not unique within the Commonwealth. Well, that's a bit awkward. We've just said goodbye to a civilian governor and the Manx Appointment Committee of the Chief Minister, the First Deemster and the President of Tinwald have now given the job to a military man. What would Tony Brown say to that? And that's their responsibility and time will tell. So let's hear from a diplomat, a diplomatic governor. Sir Richard Gosney has just finished his five-year term here on the island and finally left with his wife Diana after the August bank holiday weekend. I was able to speak with him before he left and asked him, what's he been doing? It's a role that I'm not used to because it's a role that depends entirely on the Crown. In other words, the Lieutenant uh, Governor is here as representative of the Queen and not of the British government. In the Crown dependencies, um, like the Isle of Man, the role of the Queen's representative is to represent the Queen full stop. Most new legislation through Tinwald gets signed off by the Lieutenant Governor on behalf of the Queen. And also something that's come back into the frame in the last two or three years, uh, nationality. Um, we had a hard look at this and decided that uh, the signing off of applications from third country nationals um, here in the Isle of Man, a lot of people, steady steady trickle of people from Asia, from Africa, from Europe, from North America want to take British citizenship here. And the final sign-off on that, we decided, is best done by the Lieutenant Governor, and it is not quite safe to delegate it um, to officials in Isle of Man Cabinet Office. Not because the officials couldn't do it, because on a legal basis, it maybe it could be challenged. That means that the... Uh, role is almost entirely to do what the organizations, people, clubs, veterans associations, charities, all the rest of them, uh, would like the Queen's representative to do on the island. And uh, we turn up, Diana and I, um, almost every time we can when someone asks us to, to do things. Well, that's an interesting point, because if you look at the details of the job description for Governor, you'll see, amongst other things that the governor and their spouse can expect to be patrons of anything up to a hundred local organisations. But surely this is not what we're paying £108,000 a year for. In fairness, the job description also requires that the governor is the personal representative of and impartial adviser to Her Majesty the Queen, Lord of Man. He must represent her on ceremonial occasions and host royal and VIP visits. He must carry out certain executive functions, such as the granting of royal assent and the delegated authority from the Queen. 
He must make recommendations for certain Crown appointments and must be a discreet and lucid communicator with and between the island's government, authorities and the UK government. Now, what precisely does that mean? What would the governor be communicating between here and the UK authorities? If there was something deeply untoward happened here, or untoward sufficiently to might want to uh, report um, up the chain, uh, it would be to the Queen's private secretary and not to anyone else. And I can say that that hasn't happened <laughs> in the five years. If it had happened, I'm not sure I'd tell you, but I wouldn't deny it. <laughs> and I'm denying it because uh, the Isle of Man has been on. And yeah, I mean, that's uh, the sort of thing that um, happened 50 more than 50 years ago when, um, when you got into a, a slight tangle over a certain radio ship that hove to off the waters here, uh, that sort of thing. But I think since then there hasn't been a spat um, with the British government such that the Crown ought to be put in the picture. Uh, so that's, that's good. And, and that, what that definition of uh, spat uh, would be is, um, you know, is up to the Lieutenant Governor here as in Guernsey and Jersey. In one document, he's described as being the guardian of the affairs of the Queen or Crown matters. What does that mean? As guardian, is there a time when he'd have to intervene in our affairs? I think without a written constitution, the only way to judge that is when cases, instances come up. There is that debate about where the issue, how serious something would have to be for the question of the good governorship, Mm. the good government and governorship of the Isle of Man to come in. And that's not government or governorship by the Lieutenant Governor, of course, that's by the government. And if something got very serious, then um, the question would, you know, if, if the Isle of Man was taken seriously off the rails, uh, then that question uh, would come up. Here. And you'd be involved in that, would you? I think so. I think you'd have to try and interpret some of that. But he meets regularly with the Chief Minister, the First Deemster, the Chief Constable, and the Attorney General. Why? What does he talk about? I meet informally with these people. It's never on the formal diary, not every week, but, but regularly. Um, uh, just to hear from them what, what's going on and what, they, what they're up to. Because if I'm going to make sense of the island to visitors or even remain uh, intelligently informed about what's happening on the island... Um, it's a good idea to hear from them. I never offer any advice. I mean, whoa, but I had a lieutenant governor who said, well, you know, why don't you do this, that, or the other chief minister, chief constable? I think the, the usual retort of there's a boat in the morning would, be, would, would come through very quickly. Well, that's very interesting, because I recall Mrs Hannan telling me many years ago when she was Minister for Education that she was summoned to Government House to hear His Excellency's views on education. Oh yes, I was I was summoned up um, by the uh, the governor, and he proceeded to tell me how I should be developing education. So I had to firmly tell him that it was for the uh, me and the department, and not for him. He had no place in telling me what to do. Um, but he did. He did before he went, uh, or before he finished his term of office. He did say he'd enjoyed our discussions, and we used to have quite a few. Quite heated discussions at times, with differences of opinion. And did he actually have any useful ideas? I don't think so, no. No. 
That reminded me of another occasion many years ago when I happened to be standing next to Mrs Hannan at the annual Tinwell Garden Party in the grounds of Government House and suddenly there was a fly-past of military planes, low and loud. I'm absolutely sure it wasn't meant as such but it did seem rather like a warning to the locals of what was on hand if we got a little above ourselves. Mrs Hannan was outraged. And I'm still outraged by um, by what happens at um, Tinwald, um, having a fly past, uh, having having um, British troops over, which we we pay for. Last year, not this year, last year, when we didn't have all of that pomp, and I thought it was a fantastic Tinwald day. I thought it was wonderful. It was ours, and a lot of people didn't go because they were told not to. So there weren't that many people that experienced that, but it was it was it was a, a a wonderful day. It was our Tinwell day, not what we have now. Another of the requirements in the governor's job description, along with living in government house, having a partner willing to live here and play their part, is to offer advice and support to the island authorities in dealing with civil emergencies. Well, in the past two years. We've had the greatest civil emergency since World War II, COVID. The government issued many orders under the 1936 Emergency Powers Act and the governor had to scrutinise and sign these orders. I did last year. When they found that the only way to do what they wanted to do, particularly in terms of the borders, was to invoke the, as you say, the 1936 Emergency Powers Act, that's something that the lieutenant governor has to sign off on the advice of... Um, uh, of uh, the executive, I mean it wasn't in, in 1936, there wasn't a council of ministers of course, but the executive of the day, which wasn't difficult because that was chaired by the, by the lieutenant governor uh, all that time ago. Um, and there was no other legal basis for it, so that I had to do every month for three months while that ran. And then the implementing regulations, once they'd been agreed by the council of ministers, also according to the law had to come for signature to me. This raises an interesting issue. Would the governor refuse to sign one of these orders if he had reservations about it? Oh, I, no, I always want to understand what I'm signing. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly good principle for anybody uh, with a pen and a serious document in front of them. Um, once or twice I said, are you confident that the high bailiff or deputy high bailiff will make clear sense of this if someone is held up? Um, you know, if you move the comma or you put in an extra conjunction, would that actually help? It was just on how that would be, how ease of interpretation. And it was diffidently done, and if they wanted to ignore me, they could ignore me. There's a very interesting paragraph in Derek Winterbottom's book on the governors of the Isle of Man concerning a particular governor, and it raises an issue that perhaps few were aware of at the time. It concerned Air Marshal Ian McFadden, who described himself as a hands-on person who loved meeting people. He and his wife Sally were very popular with the Manx community at large. But it was just at a time, 20 years ago, when the Manx government was attempting to restrain and reduce the profile of governors, and his determination to be so fully involved sometimes led to tensions with senior politicians. It was just before Tony Brown became Chief Minister. Was he aware of the situation? I was always of the view, and certainly practised it when I was uh, Chief Minister, that it was the role of the ministers 
and the chief minister, but predominantly the chief minister, to step into the role that used to be undertaken by the governor many, many decades ago and to be the person who represents the Isle of Man at dinners, at functions, at promotions and so on. But I do think the roles need to be very clear. Um, you know, the governor has a role and the chief minister and his ministers have another role. And it's not just being politicians, it's actually representing the people of the Isle of Man on the occasions where that's warranted. And I certainly developed that when I was chief minister and was involved um, maybe three or four days in the evenings uh, after day's work um, at functions, either making speeches, opening places or doing whatever, or just going along to support organisations. It was actually during Tony Brown's tenure that the Manx government drew up more specific guidelines concerning the governor's responsibilities. But the job description of the governor to be sworn in next week quite clearly outlines a busy community role. Doesn't this conflict with what the government was trying to achieve? Well, I think it's important, but I think the the difference is you should not allow, and I hope we don't go back to the time when people saw the only person that you involved was the governor. Um, those days are well gone, you know, long gone. I mean, society has changed. Um, yes, the governor and his wife have a role to play, um, and that's fine, but I do think it's important that the lines of demarcation are very carefully monitored. Um, the chief minister and his wife has a, an important role to play. Ministers and their wives have an important role to play. And I think, you know, government should concentrate on those issues. And when it is appropriate, th His Excellency should then be involved. So how conscious had Sir Richard been of treading on ministers' toes and possibly becoming too popular? It's up to the chief minister's side how much or little he does, and the present chief minister's been doing a great deal. Now, I'm always very conscious that I don't get re I'm not up for re-election. I'm not up for, I wasn't elected, and I'm not up for re-election. And, you know, to put it at its most blunt, I'll never get, I'll always try and avoid getting between the camera and one, one of the politicians who needs to be photographed in the event. And sometimes here we've done, I've suggested the chief minister, and he's readily agreed, that we act as co-hosts. We did a couple of thank you. Uh, receptions almost a year ago after the first lockdown, September uh, 2020, and Howard and Lorraine Quail and Diana and I did it. The, the invitations went out from the four of us, and we both spoke uh, when all the people... These are the people who'd done heavy duty and hard work beyond the call of duty, in, in both from government and from the charities during that difficult period of the spring and the summer. So receptions, visits around the island, patronage of societies... Really, is there actually enough for the Governor to do? Tony Brown. Well, whether or not there's enough for the Governor to do, I suppose, is a matter of conjecture. I mean, the point is you hear people say, well, we're paying a lot of money for somebody to do nothing. Well, in fact, he's not doing nothing. He's representing the Crown in the Isle of Man. And by the British structure, that will always happen. It's not long ago we didn't set out on paper what the role of the Governor was, and that did cause confusion, and that was... Uh, brought in to try and make sure both parties knew where they stood, i.e. council ministers, chief minister and um, then the governor. So I think that's to be welcomed. I think what's important is the wording to make sure you don't give the impression to somebody from the United Kingdom that in fact he's got a bigger role than he has. Reporting back, overseeing us, they're not really, there's a, there's a role and that role is being dealt with in the way it's set up. If we want to change that role, you go independent. Um, we're not independent, but if you did go the full road of independence, the likelihood is the Isle of Man, if the people so decided to go independent, would still 
stay with the crown, have a link to the crown. I think that's without doubt uh, clear. And you would still then have a lieutenant governor or a person appointed by the Queen to represent the Isle of Man. So it would seem for the moment there is little appetite for a major constitutional change. No severing of the dependency on the United Kingdom. For the foreseeable future, the Governor's role as the representative of the Crown here on the island will continue, and the swearing-in ceremony in Castle Russian next week will be the latest in a long line of such ceremonies, which many will see as a symbol of stability and continuity at a time when such qualities are in short supply in many places around the world. And so the final word to our historian, Derek Winterbottom, who's quite clear that our association with the Queen and all that that entails is hugely to the advantage of the island. It's enormously to the advantage because the Queen is unquestionably one of the most famous people in the world. And moreover, it, it makes it clear to international communities, to possible investors, that the island is a democratically run stable government and that has got to be enormously to the advantage of the island.